The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Scripture text for this morning is from Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22 verses 1 to 14. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. He said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Let's pray together. So God, we do thank you that you are a God who provides. Lord, you know every need in this room. You know every brokenness, every joy. And you know amazingly what every heart in this room needs and you've superintended that we be in this text and so we're trusting you now by your spirit to meet every need to point us to yourself to exhort us to encourage us to comfort us and to convict us where it's needed all that we would worship Jesus so come now and do what you do day by day week by week and conform us to the image of your son by your spirit we pray in Jesus name amen well, does anyone in here uh, like to work out, right? At least everyone does, at least for a week in January, right? So you know what, you know what working out is a little bit. And in a good workout, in a good workout, you'll be breathing heavy at some point. And in a good workout, your muscles will be burning, 
And, and why is that? It, it's, it's in the pushing of your body, and even in the, the chemical reactions and all the molecular things that are happening in that, that to do a little more than last time, you develop endurance and strength. It's how you build muscle. It's how you build endurance. Or has anyone in here ever played a sport? Or played an instrument? Yep, I see some kids. You've played sports or instruments or both. And at the first, the basics are really hard. Like I remember, right, everyone's done this if you're a Christian, I think, like learning those four chords in college. You could play all the songs. Right, at first it's really hard. But then over time, the goal is to do enough drills that eventually when you play the game or play the instrument, your body just knows what to do. And in in sports, in basketball, or in, in music, we call that muscle memory. And the most spectacular plays in a sporting event or the highest moments at a concert are the result of thousands of hours of repetition of building muscle in muscle memory. Right, those moments that feel so spontaneous, right? The moments that feel like, whoa, how did you think to do that? Or, wow, how did they riff on that note? That's from hours and hours and thousands of them of muscle building and muscle memory. And that's, that's what our walk of faith is actually like. So listen to 1 Peter 1, verses 6 and 7. Here's what it says. In this you rejoice, that's in the faith that's guarding you, rejoicing in the faith, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. In other words, various trials come and push our faith, refine our faith to do a little more than last time to develop endurance and strength as we're put through the fire. Right? And it's through sometimes little daily exercises of faith. So things like reading your your Bible and praying and fighting temptation a little bit longer this time and gathering with believers that can speak into your life and doing a kind word or act for your neighbor through all those things, those daily routines of muscle building, muscle memory, our faith grows. Right? We, we exercise day by day and it's through big trials, big tests like chronic disease and pain, or death, or job loss, or wayward children, or loneliness, or depression, all those kinds of big things that God puts us through the fire and develops muscle memory in us that moment by moment for the next trial that comes, our hearts know what to do in the hard times. It's what, he, it's what He's doing. It's how it works. And in all these things, Our faith in Jesus is being refined, right? God is mercifully stripping away other things that our faith would be in Jesus alone, right? Our our faith in Jesus is being refreshed so that we'd have hope in Jesus alone because that kind of hope can't be taken away. And our lives are being transformed so that we can be redeployed for the sake of His name. The trials come 
to refine our faith so that the faith that we have is the sturdy, steady kind to help us make it to the end. So that we can trust that every trial, every refinement is God like a master surgeon, like a master trainer, giving us exactly what we need that we might run the race all the way to the end. And that's what we get to see. And I, I hope one of the most enjoyable things for me throughout the story of Abraham in Genesis is just watching Abraham's faith slowly and sl- surely mature, right? Remember, this has been a 25, 30 year, 35 year or so now in this story we're going to read today, journey of faith. And so if you think, well, man, I am much more like Abraham in the beginning doubting, give yourself 35 years for God to just keep sanctifying impressing and loving you enough to where you could do something like this. So let's dive in. First, the test of God. Just read verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, After these things, which has been a lot of things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So God is testing Abraham here, and the test is clear. Do you trust me, and my promise is enough to trust me with one of the most precious things in your life? I mean, do you trust me? Do you trust my promises enough to trust me? one of the most precious things in your life. Your son. Right? You just sent your other son away. Here's your only son left. Do you trust me with him? And there's no doubt in my mind that Abraham's heart must have been jolted by this news. Right? Abraham, yeah, here I am, Lord. Go sacrifice your son. I remember a few years ago uh, going in for a test for our son that the doctor told us was no big deal, wouldn't be anything. And then after a few tests, a doctor coming in, and the first sentence him saying to me was, your son will need open heart surgery and it has to happen soon. Can't wait. Right? We were always a phone call. (laughs) Always a phone call or a test result or something. Just one little thing away that we didn't see coming from our hearts being jolted into this kind of heart-jolting, life-altering reality, right? This is just always a phone call or a test result away. God is asking Abraham to take his son, the promised offspring through whom all nations would be blessed, and to slaughter him on some wood and then let him be consumed by fire. We have to understand the vivid images in Abraham's mind of what God was asking him to do. And from that point on, I think you'd agree with me that that's about all you would think about. Your mind would be consumed with this thing God had just asked. You'd be talking to God, asking him why. And Abraham, he doesn't get immediate help here. He doesn't get immediate results. He has to walk three days with his son next to him and let it settle in his heart all the more. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking like day one or two, I'm just turning around. <laughs> I just, I don't, I don't think so. Maybe, I think I heard wrong. I think I heard God wrong. I think I'm, I'm off here. This, this can't be true. 
But for three days he walks, step by step, this walk of faith. You see, this isn't a test in the sense of pass or fail. In fact, in the New Testament, the word for test and trial is the same word. Actually, the same word for test and trial and temptation, when you see those things show up, they're almost always the same word. It's not a test of pass or fail. Will Abraham be righteous? Will he not? It's a test in the sense of a trial or a training to strengthen his faith and expand his endurance in a kind of glad-hearted obedience. It's a test meant to open the lungs of his faith to breathe in more fully the trustworthiness of his God, to build dependence. And my guess is that in this room, in bigger and smaller ways, you are on that walk with God. Right? There's something going on in your life that God, God's pressing and, and pushing and pressing in on you to just give you more of himself. God is like a master trainer. And he gives us trials and tests to push our faith a little bit further than before and to expand our endurance and strengthen us. But he's, he's developing muscle memory in us so that when that next trial comes or when that brother or sister is going through that same trial or when your neighbor shows up who you've done kind deeds to, you've shoveled their driveway, you've mowed their lawn, you've loved them, you've listened to their stories, and the trial comes you're ready. (laughs) You've walked through it. He's tested your faith for that moment that you might walk in further obedience. He's teaching us to run to Him. He's teaching us to pour out our hearts before Him and not pretend like everything's okay. He's teaching us to depend on Him. He's teaching us ultimately to just throw ourselves on His mercy and grace. But that's all Abraham has here. The mercy and grace of God. And all this is to expand our hearts to do what we're really meant to do, which is to worship and enjoy God as the ultimate place of hope. And that's what Mount Moriah would become. That's what it becomes in this story. It becomes a place of a pleasing sacrifice to the God who provides. Later on, if you go to 2 Chronicles 3, this very place is the place where Solomon built the temple and countless sacrifices go up to the God who provides exactly what we need. And many scholars, can't prove this, but it's too fun not to say, many scholars believe this is the same mountain where the Son of God, Jesus, would be sacrificed as a sacrifice for our sins, the ultimate way that God provides for us. The end of every walk of faith, whatever God's putting you through right now, whatever's going on in your life, the end of every walk of faith is meant to end with eyes fixed on Jesus and a kind of tear-filled, joy-filled worship, knowing He walked the path of suffering before us. Right? He gave His life for our sins. He's a sympathetic high priest, and He's always interceding for us, promising to be with us, to pray for us, and to get us all the way to the end. These tests are meant for our good to get us to see ultimate reality of our union with Christ in his death and resurrection and therefore ultimate unshakable resurrection hope we have in Jesus. One of the gifts of suffering and tests and trials, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is that they just have a way of putting reality before your face. Don't they? Isn't it easy to go through much of life and just never think about what's really that important. 
just kind of coast through our days. But when these trials come, <laughs> you think and you pray and you wrestle and you wonder and you fight with God and all of a sudden reality is just before your face like, what's most important? What's really most important in the end of all things? And in the end, it's unshakable resurrection hope in Jesus. Which is the point number two, the faith of Abraham. I don't bring up resurrection hope by accident. You're probably saying, I don't see a resurrection in this passage. But I believe, after studying this week, that this is ultimately what anchors our souls, resurrection hope. And I believe it's what was anchoring Abraham's soul to obey. So kids, before I show your parents where I see that, I'll just ask you, have you ever been really sad or really scared about anything as a kid? I was sad and scared all the time as a kid. I don't know why, but I was. I was also happy and jovial all the time, too. But as a kid, right, you feel all the things. And there's just a lot of things in life as a kid you hear about that are sad and scary. But what if you knew everything would not only be okay in the end, but completely happy and perfect? Well, if you trust in Jesus, you can know that because even death, which I think we'd all agree is the scariest and the saddest thing in the world, can't stop Jesus from bringing us to be with him forever. So if you're a kid this morning, I've been praying for you that you would believe in the resurrection of Jesus, that you would believe that he's your living hope, that you would trust him, and that you would know you get to be with Jesus forever. In the end, everything's going to be more than okay. It's going to be completely happy forever in the presence of the one that you love. But why do I say now that Abraham was anchored by resurrection hope? Well, listen to Hebrews 11, 17 to 19. Here's what it says. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act. He's doing it. That's what the author is saying. In the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So here he is. He's going to do it. Why? Because he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. So, so as Abraham's doing this, in his mind is, God's going to raise him from the dead. In other words, if we're wondering, how did Abraham obey like this? It was resurrection hope. If you're wondering, how do I obey in the midst of brokenness and sin and suffering and death and trials? It will be resurrection hope. Now, we have no inkling I mean, there's none that I could find that Abraham had seen a resurrection occur. Right? We don't have any resurrection language yet in Genesis. So how does his mind get to resurrection hope? I spent more time on this this week than ever. I was just like, okay, author of Hebrews, I want to take you at your word because you're an author of the Bible. But how did he get there? How did Abraham get to resurrection hope? And here, here's what my best answer is. His faith was strengthened by walking through many trials with God. So I say that sense on purpose. His faith was strengthened by walking through many trials, but walking through them with God, right? We see God just keep showing up, keep speaking his promises, keep reassuring him, yes, that's still true, right? What kind of trials did he walk through? Well, barrenness 
and old age and pharaohs and famines and sinful messes and battles and walks with God around the land and covenants God had made and promised to keep himself. So Abraham has this heart of faith that has walked with God through various trials. And so I think in his mind, as he's pondering what God asked him to do, Abraham does some simple faith math. Here's what I think the equation looks like. God has promised to bless all nations through Isaac, plus God is asking me to sacrifice Isaac, equals God must be about to raise Isaac from the dead. I just think that's the only math that makes sense in his head, right? God has promised to bless all nations through Isaac. I've already seen him a million times do the impossible to keep this promise. God is asking me to sacrifice Isaac. I have to obey. Therefore, the only thing that makes sense is God is going to raise Isaac from the dead. It's resurrection hope from a heart of faith that helps him to walk forward, right? We we said last week, Romans 15, 13, that that faith, this joy-filled, peace-filled faith allows us to abound in hope and walk forward. This faith-filled math is how Abraham shows such incredible faith the next few verses. Just to relate it back to the story before, I remember just vividly, there's a few things in life, you know, you're just always going to remember. I remember vividly uh, the night before Stone's surgery, I was laying next to him in his bed, and for whatever reason, it was a particularly fearful moment for me as his, as his dad going into surgery the next day. And I don't know why, just was. It was one of those times where the wave of emotion comes and you just go, Lord, <laughs> just take this cup from me. Just figure it out. Heal him now. And they do the pre-op thing. You won't have to go in for surgery. It'll be awesome, right? We'll all praise you, right? That wasn't necessarily from a heart of faith, but it's a, a father's love. So I still had to be dad, though, right? In those moments, you still have to be dad and you should care more about your kid <laughs> than yourself. And so you try. And so I asked Stone, I asked him if he was afraid. And I remember his, um, his answer to me. He said, yeah, I'm afraid. I know I could die. And I remember being like, oh, don't bring up the elephant in the room here. <laughs> and he said that, and then he said, but dad, I know if I do, I'll be with Jesus, so I guess I'm okay. And so, I don't say that to get you all <laughs> emotional, just because I am. You don't have to join me in that. But that simple faith, that stark reality that he could see as a six-year-old filled me with resurrection hope. That's what it did. Suddenly my my hope wasn't in anymore the outcome of a procedure. My my hope wasn't in exactly what would happen. My hope was that it's going to be with Jesus tomorrow or some other day forever and that's the kind of hope that can sustain you. Now it didn't make the next morning all butterflies and warm fuzzies. I didn't make it any easier getting ready or driving to the hospital or waiting two or three more hours than we were told when he's in surgery. But through all of that, I was sustained by resurrection hope. And it was such a better hope than hoping it went okay. God is kind to help us cling to belief in the resurrection and power of God to keep his promises. And he does that so mercifully through the word of God, through prayer, through friends, through our kids. And as he does it, we walk forward step by step in the uncertainty of life because of the certainty of the resurrection. So I just want you to see Abraham's life, right? He's got 35 years of life now, 
with Jesus, walking with God, right? He's got resurrection hope in the back of his mind. And now we're just going to see, so what does he do in verses 3 to 10? What does he do? We're going to see him walk out this faith. Look at verse 3. Abraham rises early. He saddles his donkey. He cuts wood. He gets some servants. He grabs his son. And he went to the place God had told him and journeyed three days. Some uh, scholars interestingly note, I hadn't seen this myself, but that Abram's mind was probably a little muddled because it doesn't make any sense to saddle your donkey before you cut your wood. And so here we have just a picture of his humanity. He's doing things in the wrong order, but he's trying to get up. He's trying to get up and follow his God. He grabs his son and they go to the place God told him for three days long journey. We just see immediate obedience despite a, a cloudy mind. And I just want to note all the way through these verses here as we walk through verses 3 to 10, all the foreshadowing of Jesus we see here. Notice in verse 4 that on the third day they see the place of sacrifice. That should have all sorts of ringing in your ears about what happens on the third day in the story of Jesus. This is the place where Abraham's resurrection hope becomes reality on this third day of the journey. In Abraham's heart, it just must have been breaking and confused in so many ways as he's walking with his son. But he is simply taking the next step of obedient faith day by day by day. Remember, this isn't a pass or fail test. Abraham has already been counted righteous. This is simply dependent obedience flowing out from his faith. And this is just such a good picture because we live in a day and age where we just want the answer now. I mean, don't you? Right? Like Google. Right? Why, why isn't there an article? Right? I want that thing now. One click. It's mine. And here Abraham just got, he doesn't know what's going to happen. He's got no ideas. We're going to see later. He, Isaac asks him, he's like, God's going to do something. I don't have any better answers. And this is what faith looks like, just moment by moment, day by day, in the midst of so much uncertainty, saying, I'm going to take the next step God calls me to. Look at verses 5 to 6. They get to the, this point where the men can't come and the donkey can't get up the hill. And so he says, men, you stay here. I'm going to go up with Isaac. And he and Isaac journey up the mountain. Isaac carries the wood on his back that will be used to sacrifice him just like Jesus carried his own cross to the place where he would die for our sins and just like we are to take up our crosses and follow Jesus no matter how hard or terrifying the journey. Here's a picture of dependent faith in Isaac who has no idea what his dad is up to at this point. Verses 7 to 8, Isaac says, My father, and Abraham says, Here am I, my son, this love in this moment, we get to see the tenderness of their relationship. We, I mean, we just see it in, in Genesis in a few different places. They, these guys love each other, love being together. Abraham loves his son. Isaac loves his dad. Abraham is a present, engaged dad, even in these last moments. And Isaac just asks the logical question. He says, Dad, I mean, I saw you, saw you saddle the donkey before you chopped the wood. I know you're a little out of it this morning, a few days ago but you forgot the lamb, right? This would just be an obvious thing in his mind. You forgot the, the sacrifice. Where is that going to come from? And Abraham says prophetically, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. 
Indeed, God provided for himself his own son, didn't he? Jesus, to be the ultimate sacrifice for the sins of the world. Abraham did not know how this was going to end. Abraham certainly didn't know it was a pointer to Jesus that was happening in this moment. But he knew God. He knew God. And he knew God's power, and he knows that God keeps his promises. Abraham did not have good answers for his son. It's a good lesson for parents, maybe. Like, you, know, you don't need to have all the right, perfect answers all the time. But Abraham knew, right? He knew the best thing to do is to point his son to the one who writes the stories and has all the answers all the time, even when we don't know what he's about to do quite yet. And then finally, in verses 9 to 10, they get to where God told them. I just, I mean, I hope that as you read the Bible, you use your sanctified imaginations to just picture these scenes. Just put yourself in these stories. Abraham builds an altar. He's putting these stones up, thinking about what's going to happen. He lays out the wood. He has to bind his son and lay him on top of the altar and the wood. We get no words from Isaac here. Abraham reaches his likely trembling hand and he takes the knife needed to sacrifice his son. Now many note the faith of Abraham here and they should. This is remarkable, mature faith that is flowing out of tests and many times he's seen the faithfulness of God. This is where God often tests us. I said it at the beginning, but this is where he often tests us in the things most precious to us in life. To strengthen our faith, to hope in him more than anything else. To teach us to trust that he is really working his power to keep his promises for our good even when it doesn't make sense. To teach us that he's God and we're still just us. That he's in control and it's better to trust him than to have all of our plans neat and in order. And so we note here the faith of Abraham. But I think we should often also note the faith of Isaac here. I think Isaac is filled with faith. I think this is meant to be a foreshadowing of Jesus. In Jesus, we see a son who completely trusts his father because he trusts in the power and promises of God even to the point of death. We see that with Isaac. Right? Isaac, we think here, is probably... 15 or 16, let's be honest, he probably could have run away from his 110-year-old dad. I'm getting creaky at my age. He probably could have run away from his 110-year-old dad, right? He was the one who carried the wood up the hill probably because he was stronger than his dad at this point. But Isaac doesn't run and Isaac doesn't fight, right? We can all agree that Jesus is strong enough to have done whatever he wanted to do, <laughs> right? He, he's strong enough to, to right, cause the guards when they show up in the garden, he says, I am, to fall down on their faces, and yet our Savior uses his sovereign power to hold himself on the cross in obedience to his Father for the sins of the world. Isaac doesn't run, he doesn't fight. He is going to trust his Father to the point of death. He is like a lamb silent before his shearers. So see and be encouraged in three ways in these verses. Number one, be encouraged by how resurrection hope strengthens Abraham's faith to do the impossible. And then trust 
that God will fill you with resurrection hope in the deepest, hardest moments of life to sustain you. We have to walk this journey of faith until the day we see Jesus. There's no way around it. There's no way, no way to do it, but go right through it. But He will help you day by day by day and step by step by step and will be with you in the valley of the shadow of death until that third day comes when you see resurrection. That's, that's the promise. That's the storyline of the Bible. Point number two, be encouraged by our Heavenly Father's love for us. That He sacrificed His only Son that He might be just to punish sins and the justifier of His redeemed people. Think about the love of a father to do that. And finally, point number three, be encouraged by the faith-filled, perfect obedience of Jesus that Isaac points us to. He was silent before his accusers and mockers for us. He carried his own cross. He was crucified for our sins. We will never be perfectly obedient, but Jesus was. And it's enough to forgive sins. It's enough to cover us in his righteousness. It's enough to grant us resurrection hope so that we can know he will keep us to the end no matter where we are right now and bring us into his presence where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Point number three here, the provision of God in verses 11 to 14. So he has the knife and it looks like the death of Isaac is inevitable. But like in the death of Jesus, on the third day we get to see a picture of resurrection. And really, this is a picture of our story, right? We deserve to die for our sins, but because of a substitute sacrifice that God provides for himself, we live. And if you read the words carefully, which you should in the Bible, right? In that very verse where the sacrifice is being provided, it says, instead of his son. Instead of, meaning Isaac doesn't have to die anymore. <laughs> because of Jesus, you don't have to die anymore. Look at verse 11. The angel of the Lord calls out to him from heaven and says, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham responds, Here am I. Let's read verses 12 to 14 together. <laughs> just trying to think of, man, Abraham has just got to be on a roller coaster right now. <laughs> He's like, have the knife. Abraham, yeah. <laughs> I'm doing what you told me to do. And then God says this to him. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Very convenient. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided, which should again have your minds go, I know about something that happened on a mountain <laughs> where my God provided. God spares Isaac, a picture of death and resurrection. He provides a ram nearby as a substitute sacrifice. Isaac was about to die, but now he lives. And Abraham names this place, the Lord will provide. And I just, I just hope you see our story in this story. 
I hope, I hope that you see that this is exactly what's going on in the gospel, that we deserve punishment and death for sins. We have over and over and over again fallen short of the glory of God. We thought we knew better than Him. We've sinned against Him. We've been apathetic towards Him. We haven't thought of Him very much at all. But the Lord has provided a sacrifice for our sins. This is the great exchange. Jesus was laid on the wood and died in our place. And Jesus didn't stay dead, but he rose again like Isaac here. Like this picture we see is that we have sure resurrection hope that overflows in worship. So maybe you're here this morning, and Nathan talked to you earlier in the welcome, and you never trusted in Jesus. And in fact, you just say, I don't really see the relevance or need. I don't, I don't need this crutch <laughs> that you Christians have. You don't see the point. And my comment to you would be, I need a lot more than a crutch. <laughs> I, need, I need new life. I need, I need everything. I can't even hold myself up with a crutch. I need new life. I need forgiveness. We are all great sinners living for ourselves instead of trusting and obeying the God of the universe. And something or someone has to pay the price for those sins. And when the the sin is against an infinitely worthy, infinitely valuable God, that means the price is what? Infinite. So who will pay an infinite price except the infinite God himself? So it will either be you will pay the price for your sins in eternal punishment or by faith in the perfect faith-filled obedience and substitute death of Jesus, you can have your sins paid for today and have eternal life. That's a good deal. It's a good deal that Jesus has paid our tab. And for most of you in here today, by grace, you've trusted in Jesus. And by grace, God has accounted it to you as righteousness. And by grace, you stand in that righteousness. And knowing that when God looks at you, He doesn't see all the sin and all the brokenness and all the dirtiness. When God looks at you, he sees you clothed in white robes. He sees you clothed in the righteousness of his son. And therefore, you stand today in assurance of salvation, knowing Jesus died as a substitute sacrifice, and you're finally, fully, and freely forever his. You can know he's not not against you. He's for you because of Jesus. You deserve to die, but he provided a way and proved he was for you and for his glory all at once in this glorious exchange. Because of that, you can be sure he will not stop working to keep you and hold you and walk with you now. He who began a good work in you will surely be faithful to complete it. So wherever you are in your walk of faith, God is working in the tests and trials to strengthen your faith to walk that next mile towards glory and to expand your lungs to breathe in His presence and His goodness and His power to keep His promises. He's building your muscle memory to see Jesus as the precious and only trustworthy resting place. Don't you want this morning to remember how secure it is to be in Jesus? Don't you want this morning to just for a moment Remember how how sturdy he is, that the name of the Lord is a a strong tower and the righteous by faith run into it and they're saved. 
Don't you want to remember that you're a part of an, an unshakable kingdom? Don't you want to remember that there's resurrection hope that points you towards the future and resurrection power at work in you now that helps you bring the future into your present to walk by faith? Don't you want to just remember all that and just ask God, I believe, help my unbelief. Help me in this trial to look at you, to, to see you, to trust you, to know that you're best. So wherever you are today, I just I want you to lift your eyes to Jesus. All right, to, so imagine the trials are right here, right, and they kind of come up, and in the morning, right, they're right in front of your face. Then you get busy throughout the day, and you, and you walk a while, and you send some emails, and you respond to things, and you change diapers, and you get really busy. Then you Netflix, and you do social media and stuff, and you numb it. You got devotions in somewhere in there, of course. And then as you go back to bed, they're just right here again, aren't they? As you fall asleep. So all I'm saying is today, what if you lifted your eyes above all that? Just for a moment, you lifted your eyes and said, the gospel is real. Jesus really came and lived the perfect life I couldn't live. Jesus really died the death I deserve to die. I am really covered in the righteousness of Christ. I really have a a resting place in Him. I really have an unshakable kingdom. I really am going to be with Him forever where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. I really am going to be somewhere where suffering and death and sin and all of it's been banished. And that's not the best thing. The best thing is I'm with God. So just to remember... What's real, what's most real in the world was just clamoring for your attention in a billion different ways. Jesus is calling you this morning to walk more closely with him, knowing that all the promises of God find their yes in him, knowing that God will keep working to keep his promises through Jesus so that his redeemed people can be in his place, enjoying his presence right now, in this place, in this broken world, in your suffering, in your trial, in your testing, and one day forevermore in his presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Amen? Amen. Let's pray before we go to the table. So Lord, we're going to come now and we're going to eat and drink with you. And you tell us to, to do this in remembrance of you. Uh, you tell us to do this so that we'd remember that we have a a Savior who lived the life we couldn't live, entering our mess, who died the death we deserve to die while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, who rose again to conquer death so that we could have resurrection hope, who is reigning now over all things at the right hand of God, And part of that reigning is a constant interceding, praying for us. As we pray to you, you're praying for us, praying over us. So God, you call us to remember, to remember your Son, to remember what's most true, to remember what's most precious, to remember what's most sure, to remember what's most unshakable, to remember what's most full of hope in the deepest, darkest corners of our life, to remember where we can actually put an anchor that will hold. So Lord, for those in this room right now that haven't yet trusted in you, Lord, I pray, I pray that you would work in them now 
a desperate need for forgiveness. <laughs> that they would see their great need. They would see that there's only one way forward and his name is Jesus. And God, for all of us, I pray that this would be a moment where you remind us that in Jesus, all the promises of God find their yes. You will keep everyone Lord, you will pursue us with goodness and mercy every day of our lives. You will test us just the right amount to refine our faith that we might make it to the end. And so that at the end of all that testing, we will obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. And though we don't now see Jesus, we love him. Lord, we love him. And we rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So Lord, come and remind us of all that is true in Jesus for us. Come and speak to your people now, Lord, in the deep places of shame, in the deep places of sin, in the deep places of suffering. Lord, speak to us. Remind us that you have made a way and that you are for us and not against us. And you walk with us in the valley of shadow of death until that third day when we get to see resurrection. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 720- 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.